How's everyone doing? That's awesome. I'm telling you, I'm super excited um, for this opportunity. And I really thank God for this opportunity because, you know, you never know what God does in everyone's life. And I didn't expect uh, in 2007 when I came to this church that I'll be one day bringing the God's word from this stage. And uh, his ways are mysterious and uh, you cannot comprehend what God has in store for each and everyone's life. Um, so we're going to look at Psalm 90. And as I was preparing for this, I was thinking about like, what can be the, uh, the title for this the sermon? And after much thought process and everything, I just decided to stick with what the Bible says. It says, it's a prayer of Moses, a man of God. So... <laughs> So it's, it is, it's always safe to go with what the Bible says, right? Uh, so Charles Spurgeon says about Moses, Moses was peculiarly a man of God and God's man, chosen of God, inspired of God, honored of God, and faithful to God in all his house. He well deserved the name which is here given him. So just to give you a background on when this prayer of Moses was written, we don't know the exact timeline, but we know that Moses writes this chapter somewhere in the wilderness after God judges the people of Israelites because of their rebellion, disbelief, and disobedience. You know the two stories which happens in Numbers where uh, the people of Israelites goes to the land, the promised land, to spy the land. After 40 days, they come back. And except Joshua and Caleb, everyone says, oh, they are giants, and they are, they, are, they are big people, they are strong, they're going to take our kids as captives, and we're going, we're going to go back to the same place where we were, we were in Egypt. So God says this, not one shall come into the land where I swore that I would make you dwell, except Caleb and Joshua, but your little ones who you said would become a prey, I will bring in, and they shall know the land that you have rejected. That's in Numbers 14. And a couple of chapters later, the people of Israelites come back to their own life where they rebel against Moses and God. They want water. So God tells Moses to speak to the rock. Moses gets frustrated, and he hits the rock twice. So in Numbers 20, 11 and 12, God says, but the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community in the land I give them. So you see there's two different things happen. One is disbelief and there is disobedience, which causes this whole wandering in the wilderness. So let's look at Moses' life real quick. So the Bible says he lived for 120 years. And out of the 120 years, the first 40 years, he grew up in the house of Pharaoh. And then he kills an Egyptian and he flees from Pharaoh. And he lives in the house of Jethro for another 40 years. And then God speaks through him, through the burning bush. He wants him to go lead the people of Israelites and free them from slavery. And he goes back to Egypt 
And the for, next 40 years, he's leading people of Israelites, right? And now, they cross the Red Sea, and what was supposed to be an 11-day journey turns out to be this wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. So when Moses is saying this prayer, he's praying for God's mercy and satisfaction because he's worn out. Just think about this for a moment. During this 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, Moses sees his people dying every day. And he's probably conducting funeral services every day or every other day or once a week. Here's another background in Moses' life. This is not the first time he has seen death. Moses started out his life with lots of death around him. If you see in Exodus 1, Moses is born and Pharaoh orders the midwives to kill all the Hebrew baby boys. In Exodus 2, Moses kills an Egyptian. He runs away from Pharaoh, goes and lives in Median. Then he comes back to Egypt to lead the people of Israelites. In Exodus 4, he sees the plague go through, and the last one was the angel of death killing all the, the firstborns. And in Exodus 14, they come out of Egypt, they cross the Red Sea, and the chariots of Pharaoh drown, and their dead bodies washed up on the shore. In Exodus 16, there's Korah's rebellion. The earth opened, fire came out, and 250 men died. In Exodus 32, we see that he comes back from the mountain after speaking to God. And as he comes down, he sees his people worshiping a golden calf. On that day, about 3,000 men fell down. In Numbers 21, we see people started complaining against Moses and God. And God sent fiery serpent, and it killed a lot of people. We don't know the number. So you see, he has seen a lot of death over the years of his life, and now he knows none of the older generation, including him, will be going into the promised land. Now he's just weary and worn out and tired. Now that we have caught up with what the mindset of Moses is, let's go to Psalm 90 and read that chapter. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with the flood, they are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed, in the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger, by your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath, we bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are seventy, or ever, even by reason or strength, eighty. Yet their span is but toil and trouble, they are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. 
Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. I'm telling you, this, the prayer of Moses, that has a lot of weight that he's carrying at the time. If you look at the first two verses, he kind of like, when he, pray, when he starts this prayer, I call it like he just butters, butters God up, like really good. He says like, he kind of proclaims the greatness of God. He says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generation. You see, a dwelling place is a place where a person lives for a very long time, both in the good times and the bad times. So when Moses says all generation, he includes the whole Israelites. He's, he's talking about like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. He's talking about the generations. He has seen God being faithful throughout all generation and all things that have happened till that point of his lifetime. After all these years, he knows the only common denominator that he has seen all throughout his life is God being great and faithful. That's why he exalts God by stating the incomprehensible character of God, saying, before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Everlasting means, I don't have to tell you guys what everlasting means, it's last forever, right? And he realizes that God is sovereign. And in these two verses, Moses pretty much like tells us how God has been great. It's like he starts a prayer glorifying God first. Because he cannot, at this point, if he says, like, God, you have not done anything for me, like, that'd be a lie. He has seen what God has done all through his life. Because in the, in the olden days, right, their parents teach their kids on what God did. So that's why they passed on the information from generation to generation to generation. And from verse 3 to 11, he kind of paints the picture, the reality and the mortality of man. He says, you return man to dust and say, return, O children of man. When he says this, he's making a point, God, you formed man out of dust. We're talking about Adam, right? And then he says, like, you send man back to dust because he has seen people dying and perishing every day. For a thousand years in your sight are but yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They're like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. See, he's going back to the, his, the historical events that happened, the flood. God destroyed the whole earth except Noah. And in that verse in Genesis, it says, God was sorry that he created mankind. And when he says this prayer, right, he's reflecting on God's greatness, and he's reflecting like, God, I'm just a dust. We are just dust. And he says, in the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger, by your wrath we are dismayed. 
You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. You know, every time I read that, the only thing I can do was to stop and thank God for his son, Jesus Christ. Because without his blood, our, his wrath would have consumed us. That kind of like reflect, I, I started reflecting on that like, God, thank you so much for your blood that washed my sins. That's why in 1 Peter we see that in 2.24, he, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness by his wounds. You have been healed. And he goes on praying from verse nine, 10 and 9. He says, the years of our lives are 70 or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? See, at this stage, Moses realized that the time is short because it cannot... Moses lived for 120 years, right? And he is leading the people of Israelites after he, was eight, after he turned 80. So, but at this time of his lifetime, he sees people perishing and he's, people are dying. And some don't make it to 70, some don't make it to 80. That's why he says here like, 70 years it is. And by strength, you can go for another 80 years, like 10 years, right? So the question I have is, what are we going to do with, during our lifetime? And I was thinking about my life. So an average person spends 18 years in to high school, right? And then you go to college. You go for four years of college. And if you get too much motivated, you go into this doctor degree. And you spend another six years. And by the time, you're already 30 years old. And you get married. And some wait, some don't, have kids immediately. So that's, and then you take care of kids for another 20 years. And they go to college. Pretty much by the time everything is done, it's 50. And my question was to myself, like, Moses, you have 187 days before you turn 40. So I'm still in my 30s, right? Uh, <laughs> What are we doing with our life? Moses has seen so many thousands of Israelites have perished in his lifetime by just murmuring and complaining. Not that anyone complains here. Everyone is always with joy and gladness, right? So, most of the issues with Israelites were rebellion and murmuring, regardless of what God did to them. How great he has done during their lifetime I've never seen a sea being parted. Have you? If you have, just raise your hand. Um, I'll be glad to talk to you about that. My prayer is that our heart should be a heart of thanksgiving and gratitude. He realizes that the time is short. That's why he says that, teach us, Lord, to number our days so that we may get a heart of wisdom. How he phrases his prayer, verse by verse. The wisest man to ever live, Solomon says this in Proverbs 2. 
If you seek wisdom like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the, for the Lord gives wisdom, from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. You know, when Moses prays his prayer, teaches to number our days, do you know how hard it is to number our days? There are so many mathematical equations and formulas that computer programs can solve anything in this world. But the one thing that no one can do is number our own days on how many days we are going to live on this earth. That's the hardest thing. And Charles Spurgeon writes this, a short life should be wisely spent. We have not enough time at our disposal to justify us in misspending a single quarter of an hour. Neither are we sure of enough life to justify us in procrastinating for a moment. Procrastinating is one of my cool gifts. Rebecca says that. So um, she'll ask me to do something, and I'll be like, absolutely. And then two weeks later, it'll be there. And it's natural for human beings to procrastinate, because if you're not interested in something, you're just going to, hey, let's take care of it later, right? That's our human tendency. Sometimes we don't do anything because we are always afraid of the outcome. For those of who have that motive like, hey, man, I don't know how it's going to work out, so I don't want to do anything, here's a cool verse for you. Ecclesiastes 11, 4 to 10. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the way, the spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child. So you do not know the work of the Lord who makes everything. In the morning, sow your seed, and at evening, withhold not your hand. For you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. That's why Moses says that in Psalm 90, verses 8, you have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. God, this is not a, like, I, I, as I look in this crowd, right, everyone has grown up in the church, so what I'm about to say is not rocket science. God knows everything, even the secret desires that you have. He, like, brings everything to light. And Gospel Transformation Bible describes this beautifully. God's pity reveals humanity's brokenness, but also God's compassion, leading to merciful deliverance. We just sang the song, How Great, How Great, How Great is Your Love for Us. The people of Israelites, they rebelled and they disobeyed God, and God just decided to judge them by not making them enter the land of the promised land. God loved us that he chose to send his son. In spite, he knows that our secret desires, our secret uh, 
or our deceitfulness, our jealousy, our pride, all the smallest, like Chad says, like there's no white sin or white lie or black lie. He knows it all, right? It's a sin, it's a sin. And he's, he knows that. And when Moses prays, it's like, you have set our iniquities before you. Like basically, God has set all our iniquities before him. And still, he chose to send his son. That baffles my mind. That's why when he's praying this prayer, he's praying that God give us a wisdom so that we can number our days. Every day matters. Do what you're supposed to do. That's why I say it's like, do your work like you're doing unto God. You do what you're supposed to do every day. And he goes on from verse 13. He kind of reflects the, the faithfulness of God. See, Moses has seen God being faithful all throughout his lifetime. If you see, during his, in his birth time, God protects him. He has the blessing of growing up in the Pharaoh's house. In the house of Jethro, he finds his wife. And he sees God at work during the ten plagues. God protects the people of Israelites in the day by cloud, in the night by the pillar of fire. And he parts the Red Sea for them. And people are hungry, and God provides manna from heaven. People are thirsty, God provides water from the rock. And people are hungry for meat, he provides quail. I love quail meat. So, there are so many things he has seen all throughout his life. That's one of the reasons he starts his prayer by saying, God, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. And he goes on saying like, return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. See, this is going on for a very, very long time. The 40 years wandering in the wilderness might not seem a long time for you, but I'll tell you a reason why it is. So many of you know that we, Rebecca and I got our permanent resident card. For you don't know what that means is, we can stay here permanently. So if you're, so. It was God's grace that we got it. But here's the thing. When I applied for a permanent residency in 2012, there were not a lot of people getting permanent residency. For people from India and China, because of their population, it was a long wait. And so when I applied for it, and I just realized, you know what? The, the approximate time for a person to get a green card when I applied was 150 years. So I was not going to live for 150 years. I was like, you know what? Let's just call it a day. Let's just work on visa, live the life that God has provided and move on. But two years ago, during COVID season, everything, all the uh, countries got shut down. So there were a lot of green cards to provide. Till that point, I didn't pay attention to whether I would get my green card or not. But when I knew that I'm going to, there is the possibility of me getting the green card, my, my eagerness to get it, and I was like, every day I was checking. Every day I was like, man, this is a long wait. How long is it going to take? How long is it going to take? But think about Israelites. So they are uh, slaves in Egypt 
for 200 years. They know a savior is going to come and lead them and free them from the captivity, right? So till that point, they are like, you know what? I'm just going to do what I'm going to do all throughout my lifetime. But now they cross the Red Sea and the promised land is like 11 days away. And now they rebelled against God and they disbelieve. Now that God put a condition saying like, none of the older generation is going, including Moses. How do you think they would have felt? Like that's why he says, how long? He wants to be out of this misery too. He says, Lord, as he closes his prayer, he says like, satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Who cries for satisfaction? Only the one who's not satisfied. Where does our satisfaction come from? It's a Sunday school answer. Somewhere like, whoa, it's a complicated Sunday school answer. It's God, if you don't know. How did he satisfy us? God satisfied all our needs through his son, Jesus Christ, because he should be the pinnacle of our satisfaction. See here, basically the wrath of God was placed on Jesus. This is a well-known thing in Christianity. Many songs have lyrics which mentions this, like the wrath of God poured out. Right? Do you really believe it and are thankful for it? That your sin has been wiped out. But you didn't do anything for it, right? All you have to do is just believe. I saw a t-shirt with Adam wearing, believe, the Sasquatch. It's like, that made me smile. Uh, if you really believe that truth that God died for you and he removed the wrath, right? Here's the hardest challenge. See, Moses is praying to God to satisfy him and his people with his steadfast love. He's saying this because he has experienced the satisfaction in God. He also knows that he's not going to make it to the promised land. Only Joshua and Caleb are going to lead the people of Israelites. You know, think about it for a moment. God calls you to lead the people into the promised land. And because of your disobedience, God just chooses another person. But he did not stop there. He continues to pray for the people of Israelites. If you notice, one of the most important role of Moses has always been an interceder for the people of Israelites. An interceder means to plead on other, another's behalf. When he says, Return, O Lord, how long have pity on your servants? He continues to write the following. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. See, he is an interceder. That's why he's praying this for the kids who is going to go into the land. Because until Moses was there, God was performing all these miracles. He's asking God, like, God, don't stop with me. Continue to show your glorious power to the children. Charles Spurgeon writes this beautifully. This was not the only prayer of Moses. Indeed, it is but a specimen of the manner in which the seer of Horeb was leaned to commune with heaven and intercede for the good of Israel. 
See, he's asking God to have favor on the people of Israelites because he knows that they mess up all the time. He's pleading God to bless what their hands do. Just as Moses seen people perish every day, we see here news of people who die. Most of them are not saved, whether it be here in Mississippi, America, India, China, or Africa. Anywhere in this world, people die every day. Most of the people are not saved. See, we have a father who we can call our dwelling place. Most people don't know the need for a dwelling place where you and I get satisfaction. Just like the people of Israelites who decided to satisfy their need with false gods, sometimes we find things to do because we are bored. We don't know what to do. See, people of Israelites didn't know what to do when Moses went up on the mount to talk to God. So they decided to build an, a golden calf. They didn't have to do that. They could have just rested. They could have relaxed because some get satisfaction with their work and random stuff. See, when God created man, he wanted to have fellowship with him so that we can rest in him. But we chose the opposite. As we conclude the treasures of Psalms, let us not forget the fact that we have so many people in this world who will not be saved. We as Christians, we need to intercede for our city, our nation, our world, our missionaries that we send. See, I pray that like Moses is praying here, Lord, establish the work of our hands. You know, all the things that we plan on spreading the gospel, all the things that we're planning on, like it can be a fall festival, a missionary trip, a hearts of compassion, all the things that we do, our prayer is, my prayer is that God, establish the work of our hands. We're about to sing a song and it is from Psalm 90. The, the, the song, one of the chorus says this like, so when the sun comes up, satisfy us before the day has passed us by. Before our hearts forget all your goodness, satisfy us with your love. You know, I pray, I pray that we don't forget how God has been faithful in our life, how God has been great in our lives. Because I'm telling you, we are saved. There are so many people who don't know that they need to be saved. And Moses says that in Deuteronomy where he says like, just look back and see all the things that God has done for you. If you just think about that, I promise you, your life will never be the same. We take so many things for granted. And I pray that if you are not saved, I, will, I pray that you will accept Lord Jesus as your dwelling place. In the times of good and the bad, He is there. And I pray that our hearts will be transformed because he is a great God and we are his people and he has called us to be his own.
Let's stand up as we sing the song.